Father, we just praise you and thank you for uh, all you've done for us in the previous years of our lives. Uh, Lord, most of all for our salvation, the, the grace of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And uh, as we come to 2019, we want, I think everybody in here wants it to be the best year of their entire lives, Lord. And so I just ask today that uh, through this text, you show us how we can live our lives in your perfect will, how we can uh, enjoy the joy and peace that coming that comes from knowing that, that we're doing exactly what you want us to do, that we're exactly where you want us to be. So, Lord, help us to, to see how we can do that today as we look at uh, uh, this passage in Romans. I just ask, Lord, again, that that you bless us in the coming year, Lord, that you help us to be a blessing to others in the coming year. And Lord, most of all, that we live our lives to bless you. We just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for what you're going to teach us today. Uh, We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. I notice Roy's not here today. Uh, I take roll, by the way. Roy's not here today. He's probably on the golf course. Uh, Even though it's raining, uh, he's been doing a lot of golfing lately. And he told me a story about uh, this golfing experience. I mean, just an amazing experience he had last week. He said he was out on the golf course, and and, uh, he came to the toughest par three, actually the toughest hole on the course. It was a par three, and it had water in front of it and woods on the left. And Woods on the right. And so he got up to the hole and he had his new Titleist out. And he said, you know what, I don't think I'm going to use that ball on this hole. I'll probably lose it. So he reached in his bag and he grabbed an old ball and he put it on the tee. And he put it on the tee and he got ready to, to drive it over the water into the woods, where, or into the water in the woods wherever he was going to head. And he heard a voice from heaven. And the voice said, use the new ball and Roy was kind of startled so he reached in his bag and he grabbed the new ball he put it on the tee and uh, he was ready to go and then he heard the voice from heaven again and the voice from heaven said take a practice swing so Roy reached back and he 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 uh, put the new ball down and he took a practice swing and as soon as he took a practice swing the voice from heaven spoke out and said Use the old ball. (laughs) Now, the reason I told that story this morning is because I believe that's a lot, uh, the way a lot of us see how God shows us his will. It's kind of a hit and miss thing. He looks at how we're doing and and, uh, he looks at whether or not we're capable of doing more. And he just says, okay, my will for you this year is going to be this because this is, this is, you, you can't do this, and you can do this, and so, so I'm just going to kind of figure out what my will for you is going to be in the year 2019. But that's not the way God works. God knows exactly what he wants to do in your life in the year 2019. He has a perfect will for your life in 2019, a great plan for your life in 2019 if you can find his will 
And I mean, I, I'll just ask you a question. How many of you would like to know exactly what God wants you to do in the year 2019? Some of you not raising your hand. Maybe that's a dangerous thing to know what God wants you to do in 2019. But I want to know what God's specific will is for my life in 2019. Well, not not his general will, because we know God's general will for our lives in in 2019. We know God's general will for our life for the rest of our lives. I mean, uh, we don't have to ask God... uh, uh, is it your will for my life that I covet or that I steal or that I murder or that I lie? We know from God's law that none of those things are his will. We don't have to ask the Lord, uh, is it your will for my life that, that I be more like Christ this year? Because that we know that's his general will. We know from his word that, that uh, we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we're to be holy as he is holy. And so that's, we know that's God's will for our life in 2019 and really for the rest of our lives. Uh, we don't have to uh, ask God, uh, Lord, this year and the coming year, do you want me to share the gospel? We know that's God's will. We've been given the Great Commission. We, we've been told as we go through this world that uh, we're to make disciples, that we're to, to share the gospel, that we're to make disciples, that we're to... Uh, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. The word says that you are. It doesn't say you will be. It says you are salt and light. We go through this world, world as salt and light. Uh, uh, so we don't have to ask the Lord if, if we need to share the gospel. Uh, we don't have to ask the Lord if we're to keep ourselves from idols. Because over and over again in the word, what does it say? Keep, little children, keep yourself from idols. And so we know we're not supposed to do do that. All of those things are the general will of God for our lives. But what about his specific will? Uh, Those things that, those decisions that we have to make in the coming year that aren't specifically addressed in the Bible. I mean, sometimes we're, we've got a decision we've got to make, and we get into the Bible, and we look, and we look, and we look, and we can't seem to find God's specific will for our life. I mean, let's say we, we're uh, contemplating taking a new job next year. Well, Lord, do you really want me to take this job? Where can you find that in the Bible? Uh, uh, we know some general th- principles that we can look at, but we don't know exactly whether or not God wants us to take that job or buy that new house or make that investment or, or enter into some personal relationship. I mean, is this, Lord, really want what you want me to do in the coming year? Lord, where do you want me to serve you in the coming year? Some people don't care about where they're going to serve the Lord in the coming year, but I want to know how God wants me to serve him and where he wants me to serve him in 2019. And so uh, we want to know God's specific will for our life. But the question is, can we know God's specific will for our life? Well, we can. We can know exactly what God wants us to do in 2019. And Paul tells us how we can find that will Right here in uh, Romans chapter 12. So go with me to Romans chapter 12. 
And let's read these. We're only going to cover two verses today. I know. Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? I think we do that all the time, right? Just two verses. But anyway, I didn't trick you guys at all. Tell you, you know, two verses can take a while. All right. Romans chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. So let's read that. And you're going to see right here how you can find God's specific, perfect, good, acceptable will for your life. Look at, look, beginning in verse number 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. That's, he's speaking to believers here. Uh, uh, the children of God. He says, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now watch this. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect, really specific, complete will of God for your life. So Paul gives us a real easy formula to remember right here if you want to know God's specific will for your life. Uh, uh, his good will, his acceptable will, his perfect will, his complete will. For every decision you make in 2019, you can follow this formula and you're going to know God's will. Now, that's an easy formula to remember, but that's not such an easy formula to live out. You can look at this right here, and you can see that. I mean, look at this. The first thing you've got to do is present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. That's, that's, that's not very easy to do. It's a choice we make, but it's not very easy to do. Uh, the second thing, look at this formula. We're not to be, the second component of this formula, we're not to be conformed to this world. And then the third component of this formula is that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Well, let's take this one step at a time and look at this. What's the first component of this formula? That each and every moment of the day, we're to put ourselves on the altar. That's what we're to do every moment of the day. We're to put ourselves as a living sacrifice on the altar. I mean, God, you know, some people think, you know, I put my money in the offering box back there, and I'm not trying to discourage you from doing that, do all of that you want to do. But, but uh, that God wants a lot more than your monetary offerings. Do you know what he wants? He wants you. He wants you on that altar. And, and so... When he speaks of being a living, living sacrifice, when you think of a sacrifice, you think of death. Now, he's talking of not speaking here of our physical death. He's speaking of our, our dying to our own will so that we can find God's will. You know, Jesus put it like this. He said, you should lose your life so that you can find your life. You're never going to know the will of God if you aren't willing to give up your own will in favor of God's will. That's the very first step. Now, now why do we put ourselves on the offer? I mean, why does God want us to do such a, a uh, really difficult 
thing, what seems to be a difficult thing. Now, I'm going to tell you this, it's really not that difficult to do. I mean, you put yourself on the altar, and you die to your will, and you find God's will, and I'm going to tell you what, you're going to be in a much happier state than you were before when you were trying to live your life out based upon your own will instead of God's will. But why do we do that? Let me tell you why we do that. Look back in this verse. It is our reasonable service to do that. It's our, the, you transfer that, translate that word reasonable, rational service. It's the rational thing to do. Why is it rash, the rational thing to do? Because of that one word there, that word therefore. Look back in the text. He says, I beseech you therefore. Whenever we see the therefore, what do we do? We ask what it's there for. And what the, usually that therefore applies to the text that precedes the verse that we're looking at. And so I think Paul's intention here in writing, I beseech you therefore, was to say based upon everything I've taught you in these first 11 chapters, this systematic theology of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul gives us in the first 11 chapters of Romans. I love Romans. And if you want to get your theology right and you want to get a good theology down, you study the book of Romans. And so Paul is given this systematic theology in the first 11 chapters, and now you've been given this theology and you understand what Christ has done for you. It's your reasonable service. It's your rational service to put yourself on the altar. Now, what did Paul tell us in those first 11 chapters? Remember what he told us? First of all, he told us there is none righteous. He spends the first three chapters just showing you. The Jew's not righteous. The Gentile's not righteous. There's nobody that's righteous. There's none righteous, no, not one. None of us are righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God has set, he tells us later on, God has set forth his son, who's his son, almighty God, on a cross to die for us and shed his blood to be a propitiation, a payment for our sins. Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and without that payment, we can't have a relationship with God. And so God has died for us. He sent his son to die for us. So that he could be both, Paul tells us in Romans 3, he could be both the both just and the justifier of those who come to Christ in faith. You come to Christ in faith, and God puts your punishment on Jesus Christ on the cross so that he can be just and so that he can justify you and make you as if just as if you hadn't sinned, make you perfectly righteous. So what Paul's told us in these first 11 chapters is that Christ, that we he, God has justified us, he has called us, and he will glorify us. And then he kind of comes to a crescendo in the last verse of chapter 11 and listen to what he says. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Sounds like the Lord's Prayer, doesn't it? Your kingdom, your power, your glory forever and ever and ever and ever. And if it's his kingdom and it's his power and it's for it's of him and through him and to him all things, then what is our reasonable service? Our reasonable service is to give our lives back to the Lord. I mean, if we can trust him with our eternal salvation, 
then we can trust him with, with our lives. We can trust him that his will for our lives is better for our wills for our lives. And so, uh, therefore, it's our, as he says here, it's our reasonable service to present ourselves always as living sacrifices to the Lord. And that's really what it means to follow God's general will for our lives. I mean, you, you read this word and you study this word and you learn what the general will of God is for your life. And when you begin to move out based upon the general will of God for your life, now, if you're not living in the general will, you're going nowhere. You're going nowhere. You're never going to find the specific will. I don't care how hard you pray. You're not going to find God's specific will for your life. You, first of all, have got to have yourself on the altar. And that's what it means to be on the altar. When you're on the altar, what you're saying is, God, I want to go where you want me to go. I want to do what you want me to do when you want me to do it. And until you get on that altar, you can go, you can go in your closet and pray, Lord, I want to know what you... Won't you, I want to know what you want for my life in 2019. He's not going to tell you. You've got to be moving. You've got to be following the general will God has for every Christian's life. And if you move out in that general will, at some point you're going to find the specific will of God. Now, how do we move out? We move out. Listen to what he says. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the grace of God. That's how you find the general will. And that's how you move out of the general will of God. And that's how you live in the general will of God. By the grace of God. Now if I see somebody who's not following the general will of God. Then they don't have the power of God in their lives. They're not living in a close relationship with the Lord. Because if you're living in a close relationship with the Lord. What do you have in you? You have Christ in you. You have the Spirit of God in you. You have His power and grace living through you. And so you're moving out by the mercies of God into the general will of God, and eventually you're going to find the specific will of God. And as you move out, man, you're just like Paul says in Philippians. You, You can say, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Look, until you get to that point where you're in the general will of God, you're never going to understand what it means for Christ that you that through Christ you can do all things. And you you're not going to find the specific will of God if you're not willing to do all things whatever God calls you to do. You got to be ready to go where he wants you to go. And I got to tell you, I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians who aren't living in the general will of God and who are just living according to their own personal will. They could care less about God's will. They get up in the morning and they do what they want to do. They go where they want to go and, and say what they want to say. And they do it in their own power, in their own strength, and they're miserable. And I, they, they call themselves Christian, and I hope they are Christians, but they very well might not be Christians. If you have no desire to do God's will, to walk in his general will, you might want to question whether or not you're truly born again. But let me ask you a question. I mean, do you really believe that God has a will for your life? I'm asking it again. Do you really believe if he has a will for your life that the power is there for you 
to live out the will that he's given you, that you really can do all things. How many of you believe that you can do all things that God wants you to do through Christ who strengthens you? I mean, how many of you believe that you're more than conquerors in Christ who strengthens you? More than a conqueror. If you really believe that, then you know what? You want to know God's specific will for your life. Hey, are you conquering things right now? I mean, are you experiencing the power of God right now? If you're not, it's there. And you know, I'm going to tell you where you're going to get it. You're going to get it not only in the general will, you're going to really get it when you're in the specific will of God. So we all want to know what God has planned for us in 2019. I say all. There's a lot of people who don't want to know God's will. I know a lot of people who have called themselves Christians who really don't want to know God's will for their life. You know why? They're afraid of what God might ask them to do. They're afraid he might rattle their cage. They're living a nice, comfortable life. They're getting up in the morning. They're doing the same thing every day over and over again. And they don't want that to change. Don't mess with my life, God. I mean, I like my life just the way it is. Don't rattle my cage. I mean, who knows? You might say, you might go home and say, you're inspired by this message, and you go home and say, Lord, I'm going to walk in your general will, and I want to know your specific will. And God says, like he told Roy, he says, I want you to be a missionary in Africa. And so so many people are afraid God might say something like that to them. And so I just think I'll keep doing my will, Lord, and you kind of hold your will to yourself. You know what? If God... First of all, God's not going to call, I don't think, any of us in here to be missionaries to Africa. He might. But, but that's unusual. But let me tell you this. If he does call you to be a missionary to Africa, do you realize that you're not going to want to do anything else in the world but that? When God gives you a calling, that becomes what you want to do. It becomes your passion. In fact, fact, you've got to be careful because sometimes you get a vision or a calling and that becomes your God. And and I see that to happen to a lot of people and then God will knock that down. But God has a vision and a calling for you and he wants you to know that vision and calling and and you shouldn't be afraid of that vision and calling because whatever that vision is, whatever that calling is, whatever that specific will of God is, it's going to be what you want to do more than anything else in the world. And if you don't want to think, don't think you want to do it now, you're going to want to do it when it happens. I can remember, I can remember years ago driving when I was in New Orleans as a little boy, and we would drive by New Orleans Baptist Seminary on the way to see my uncle. Before the interstate, you'd drive. I mean, it, it, it covered, we weren't covered wagons, but it was before the interstate. <laughs> and 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 we would drive by the seminary there on Sheffman Tour, and I would say, look at all those nuts in there. You know, a bunch of nuts, you know, studying that stuff. I mean, what in the world are they doing, wasting their life doing that? I would never do that. I would hate to do that. And then God called me to be a pastor, and that's what I wanted from that point on. That's what I wanted to do more than anything else in the world. Now, that's changed a little bit now. Uh, after a year, I'm teasing this, it's still what I want to do more than anything else in the world. But it's, become, it's not as easy as I thought it might be when I first started out. Maybe not as productive as I thought it would be when I first started out. But it's what I want to do. 
And if you're not doing exactly what you want to do, if you don't love what you want to do, and it doesn't have to be some ministry or something, but if you don't love what you're doing, you're not in the specific will of God. And you're probably not walking in the general will of God. God has a, 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 if you're in a place, and here's what I'm going to encourage you in 2019, if you're in a place where you hate what you're doing, it's not, you're not in God's place. That, I'm not saying it, it's, it's easy where you're at. It's not going to be. In fact, the most difficult place to live is in the specific will of God. It's going to be very difficult. And God sanctifies all sorts of professions and all sorts of works. He makes those holy. But he makes it something you love to do. And if you don't love to do it, you might want to ask him, Lord, what's your specific will for my life? That's a dangerous question. But Lord, what do you want me to do in 2019? He's not going to answer that if you're not living in his general will. You're not going nowhere if you're not living in his general will. You're wasting your time asking what the specific will of God is when, when, when you're not living in his general will. All of these precepts and 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 and. and uh, things uh, that he teaches us here in his word. We're unwilling to do these general precepts. Uh, we're unwilling to live by his law. And I don't believe you're under law. But as a born-again believer, you long to live righteously. And if you're just living for the world, if you're living in sin, and you have no desire to come out of that, you're never going to find God's specific will for your life. The only way to find it is to be walking in his General will, that's how it begins. And, and, and the other reason, let me tell you the other reason, and, and it kind of goes along with the first reason I gave you, the other reason people don't want to know God's specific will for their life is because they are worldly. They love the world, and they like the world, and they like the world they're living in. And they're worldly people, and I like, you know, I mean, I, I think of people who live in these big cities, and, and you hear the reason why they live in these big cities, because I watch House Hunters sometimes, and, and it's always, I want to be by the action. You know, I want to be by, by the action where the bars are, where the restaurants are, where, where the football games are, where all of these things are. In other words, I want to live for this world. And, 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 and so... If you're just caught up in the world and all you care about is this world, then you're going, to be conf- you're going to be conformed to this world and you're going to care less about the will of God, the specific will of God. And that's why Paul says the second component of this, look back at the verse, he says that we're not to be conformed to the world. Man, I wish we could get that down. We're not to be conformed to this world. You know, worldly Christians don't have a clue about God's specific will. They don't care about God's specific will. And because normally, when you get worldly, you lose sight of God's general will for your life. So you're never going to find God's specific will for your life because you're heading in the wrong direction and you can't you can't get in the in the specific will of god when you're heading in the wrong direction 
You've got to repent. You've got to head back in the general will of God so you can find the specific will of God. Now, here's the trouble with this, and here's where it causes us all trouble. You know, there's a lot of things in this world that aren't necessarily evil, but things that can consume us if we're not careful. I mean, they actually seem to be harmless. But they are evil, and they are destructive, If listen to me very carefully, if they continually take our focus off the Lord and his will for our lives. And we, and here's the trouble with America. We live in an age where we're barraged with worldly distractions. There are all sorts of things that you can find something to do every moment if you want to. It'll take you away from the Lord. It'll take your focus off the Lord. I mean, you look at the television. I mean, just sit there. I know Christians just sit there and watch TV for, sometimes I do it, for hours at a time iPhones. You know, on my new iPhone, I wish they hadn't done this. I'm glad they did now. But I, let me, I, you know what? On my new iPhone, it tells me how much I was on that phone during the day. And all of a sudden, I'm looking, two hours and 46 minutes on the phone. Not talking, surfing, checking scores. Actually, I listen to sermons on the Internet, too, so there's a little of that on there, too. But it's amazing how much time we eat up. That's just on your telephone. And then there's, there's television, there's, there's, there's sports, there's, there's the internet, there's, there's travel, there's entertainment, there's material possessions. I mean, all of these things in and of themselves aren't bad. But if they cause us to lose sight of the general will of God, forget ever finding the specific will of God. And I gotta tell you, most of us, I got one foot in this world and one foot in the kingdom of God. And it, God, doesn't, God doesn't accept that. You're not going to find God's specific will like that. I mean, he's real clear. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If you love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. If the love of the Father is not in you, how are you going to find the, even the general will of God for your life? You're not even going to find the general will and most people that are worldly have no interest in this word, and the way we find the general will of God is in the word of God. And so if you get out of this word, you're going, to be, you're going to drift away from God, and you're going to be conformed by this world. So what do we do? We ought to repent of that. And that's why he gives us the third component here in, in, in this uh, second verse. He says... Uh, the third component that keeps us being conformed to the world is that, look at this, and that we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now that is a, that word transform there is a very interesting word. It only appears two other times in the New Testament. And I'm going to show you those two times so in context you can see the true meaning of this word. It's a much richer word than just, just to be transformed. 
It's the word that was used over in Matthew 17 when Jesus was transfigured. So go over with me to Matthew 17. Here were these three guys, and they were living in the specific will of God. Let me tell you what. You get in the specific will of God, exciting things are going to happen in your life. I mean, some really exciting things are going to happen in your life. You're going to see Jesus in your life in a real way. Just as these three disciples saw Jesus in their lives in a real way. And watch what happens here. I'm in chapter 17, verse 1 of Matthew. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured. That's the same word that's used in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that says transformed. It means much more than just being transformed. He was transfigured. That's a supernatural experience. He was supernaturally transformed. Jesus was transformed before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So you get this picture of this supernatural experience that takes place in this transformation, in this transfiguration. And and that's what God's telling us. We're to be transfigured as Jesus was transfigured. Now, can we be transfigured as Jesus was transfigured? We certainly can, and we'll see the other uses of this word. Go with me over to uh, 2 Corinthians. Go past Romans now. Back past Romans. And go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I, I, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, by the way, you want to uh, see what supernaturally is going on in your life. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is what's going on if you're a true born-again believer. But, but he sums it up down in verse number 18. So, so go with me to chapter 3, verse 18 to 2 Corinthians. Let's read it. But we all with an unveiled face, in other words, there's no law keeping us from Jesus Christ, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Say, when we behold the glory of the Lord, when you behold Jesus Christ, how do we behold Jesus Christ? By renewing our minds by being in the Word, by coming to church and hearing the Word, uh, by praying, by uh, putting ourselves in the presence of Christ. When we behold, but we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transfigured. We're being transformed supernaturally into the same image of Jesus Christ. From glory to glory. Look, if you're a true born-again believer and you study the Word, look, that is a supernatural experience. When you come to church and you hear the Word, that is a supernatural experience. When you listen to pastors on the radio, when you get before your knees before the Lord, it is a supernatural experience. When you behold the Lord in your prayer closet, you're being changed from glory to glory. You're not glorified yet. But you're becoming more and more like Christ. You're in the same image of Christ from glory to glory. And it's done by the Spirit of God. So here's what Paul's saying going back to Romans chapter 12. He's saying, do not be conformed to this world. If all you're doing is living your life in this world, you're never going to be transformed. And if you're not transformed, you're not going to know the general will of God. And if you don't know the general will of God, 
you're not going to know the specific will of God. And I don't care how much you pray. You get you 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 meet some girl, you want to marry that girl, and you could pray for 20 hours a day for the rest of rest of this year. And that's not gonna you're not gonna get an answer from God if you're not walking in his general will so that you can see his specific will. And that goes for any decision you want to make this year. It's not, it, you can't just come to the decision one day and say, Lord, I want you to help me know what to do in this decision. It's not going to happen. I mean, he might, in his grace, you know, do something different in a, one particular case, but he, that's not the general rule. For you to know the specific will of God, you've got to be being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so he says, and do not be conformed to this world by the trans, but by the, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know and prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, now, that Greek word to be transformed is the Greek word metamorpho, from which we get our English word metamorphosis. What, what do we think of when we think of metamorphosis? We think of a caterpillar that becomes, metamorphosizes into a butterfly. And that, I, I think God even created the caterpillar-butterfly process to show us what happens in our lives. I mean, we start out, when we're saved, we're nothing more than worms. We're, we're, there's none righteous, no, not one. We're, our, 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 our mouths are an open supplicator. I mean, we're, we're, we're the, we're, our hearts are desperately wicked. We are worms. And we humble ourselves before God. And then this metamorphosis process begins. It doesn't take place instantly. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm somewhere past the worm stage. But I'm still not the butterfly yet. I'm being changed from glory to glory. And so are you. And as you are being changed, you know the will of God. Now, now that verb that, that we get right here where it says be transformed, when you see be transformed, then what type of verb is that? That's a passive verb. In other words, you can't do anything about it. That's a supernatural process. It's Christ who transforms you by the Spirit of God. But there, you do have a responsibility You're being transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. And so you've got work to do. You've got to renew your mind, and you can only renew your mind if you're not being conformed to this world. And so we have to actively renew our minds. How do we renew our minds? I've already said. We renew our minds through the study of the Word. Jesus said this, if you abide in my Word, you're my disciples indeed. In other words, he implies that if you don't abide in the word, you're not my disciple. Let me tell you, if if you don't abide in the word of God, you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't care what you say you are, what denomination you are, what religion you are. You have to live in this word. What does it mean to live in this word? It means I know this word, I cherish this word. This word, I renew my mind with this word. It's part of my mind. There's times I wish the word wasn't part of my mind. Because there's times when I do something... That word pops up. What are you doing that for, George? And, and, and why do you think that thought, George? And it's a, it creates a battle in my mind that I never had before I was saved. 
But as we gaze upon this word, we're supernaturally transfigured by the Spirit of God into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul puts it like this in Colossians chapter 3. Here, he, he gives you a practical way to renew your mind. And here's what he says. He says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, you don't have to turn there. He says, seek those things that are above, where Christ is seated, sitting at the right hand of God. I mean, when you go to your prayer room, what are you seeking? I mean, if the first thing you're seeking is, oh, God, tell me what to do in this situation, you're not going to find it. You're, you're to, what, what, we're to seek those things above. And who's above? Who are we seeking? What are we seeking when we're seeking the things that are above? We're seeking Jesus Christ. You know, that's, that's something I'm trying to discipline myself on in my prayer life is when I go to my prayer room and I get on my knees to, to seek Christ first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek all these things first, and you're not going to get those things. You're not going to find God's will. So the first thing we're to do in our minds, we have to actively, to renew our minds, set our mind on things above. We have to seek Christ. When when I come to read the Word, there's sometimes I come to read the Word, I say, I need to read the Word because I've forgotten what's in 1 Peter. I need to read 1 Peter. That's, That's the wrong motives. When I go to 1 Peter to read 1 Peter, what should my motive be? It should be to seek those things that are above. To seek those things that are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of the Father. That's what I'm, that's, that should be my motive. And, and that's a choice. We can do that. We can make that our motive in our, in our Bible study and in our prayers. And, and Paul goes on to say in Colossians 3, he says, Set your minds on things above and not on this earth. Set your mind. Let me ask you today, ask myself today, where is my mind set? What's it set on? You answer that question yourself. What's your mind set on? If it's not set on Christ, it's set on this world. And you're not going to do anything in God's will. And Jesus says, you either gather from me or you scatter. You're either gathering or you're scattering. If you're a person who has children, let me tell you what, if your mind's not set on Jesus Christ, you're scattering. You're scattering. And what you sow is what you're going to reap. And your children, your children are going to have trouble. It, it trouble multiplied greater than your trouble because you're scattering. Whatever you do in life, if your mind's not set on Christ, you're scattering instead of gathering. We should all be gathering. And we gather when we're in the will of God, in the specific will of God. And we can only know the specific will of God when we're in his word and we're living in prayer. And when we do that, when we do that, we're going to know God's will for our life. I think we got this all wrong. I, you know, I, I used to think, man, if I could just pray, the harder I pray, the, 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 the easier it would be to find God's will. That's not the solution. 
You can pray all you want, but if you're not willing to put yourself on that altar, you're not going to find God's will. If you're being conformed to this world, you're not going to find God's will. If your mind's not being renewed by the Spirit of God, if you're not being transformed by the Spirit of God because you're renewing your mind by the Spirit of God through your own choice, you're not going to find the will of God. You know, it's simple. What, what it amounts to is putting Christ first in all we do. And, 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 and putting our focus on him and not the things of this world. Let me see if I can illustrate all of this for you. How this works in your life. Let's say that in the age before GPSs, that I live in Texas and I've got this burning desire to see the capital of the state of Louisiana. I don't know why anybody would have a burning desire to do that. The, the illustration sort of breaks down there, but let's say that's my passion. Actually, I've got a friend of mine, y'all, y'all met him before, he preaches up in Wisconsin. He, he takes his vacations in this part of Louisiana. He, he thinks it's the greatest part of the country in the world. I know a lot of, a lot of us do, but I mean, he, he would rather do this than be in the mountains. He'd rather come to Cajun country. And one of the things he does, he goes and he tours the capital. So some people do that. So anyway, let's say that's what you're doing and you decide you're going to take a trip and you want to go see the capital of Louisiana. You've never been there. And you stop at the, the pilot station in, in uh, Bro Bridge and you ask for directions. Well, first of all, you've got to gas up your car. You've got to have some power there. By the mercies of God, we've got to have some power, don't we? So, so you gas up your car and you ask for directions. And some Cajun who you can't really understand tells you that all you've got to do is get on I-10 and head east, and you can't miss the capital. There's no way you can miss it. See, that's, a, that's an illustration right there. That, that, that illustration works for what we're talking about. Because until you get on that highway and begin to move, you're never going to see that capital. You've got to head east. I mean, those are good directions. You've got to head east. Just like the Word of God, what with these general directions that we get in, in here are great directions. And we've got to be moving in that direction before we're ever going to see God's specific will. Before the, you're ever going to see that capital, you've got to start moving east. So let's say I get on the, on the uh, I-10 and I'm heading east and I cross that swamp bridge and I come across the swamp bridge and I had uh, get a little bit further down the road to Gross Tet, and, and, and all of a sudden, what do I see? You can't miss it. I see the capital on the horizon. You can't miss it. See, that's exactly what happens when you're following the general will of God. When you've placed, and that's what it means to place yourself on the altar. Because what you've done when you placed yourself on the altar, you said, Lord, I'm going to go where you want me to go. I'm going to do what you want me to do, how you want me to do it, when you want me to do it. And so you're on the altar and you're moving in the general direction. And soon you're going to see the specific will of God. Just like soon as you come over that bridge, you're going to see the capital. Well, that doesn't get you there, though. That doesn't get you there. I mean, you keep heading east and you cross the Mississippi River Bridge, 
I'm going to tell you what, it'd be real easy to get lost, except for one thing. They've got signposts that you can look at. They've got signposts that you can look at that, that tell you exactly how to get to the capital. So what are you going to do? You're going to follow those signposts. And, and when we're heading in the general direction of God's will, and then we see his specific will, we aren't there yet. We've got to follow the signpost, and God is going to give us those signposts. What are the signposts God gives us? Well, it might be a prophetic word that he gives us from some prophet. I'd be aware of that because I always believe if God's going to give a prophet a word about me, he's going to give me that word too. But sometimes when God's given me a word, I know in my heart that he's given me a word, then, then somebody gives me a word of knowledge that backs up that word. Well, that's a good signpost that I'm heading right to the specific direction that God wants me to go. I mean, it might be a passage in the Bible that one day you, you've looked at that passage a hundred times and one day it just hits you. And you know it's the Lord speaking to you. God has all sorts of ways to give us signposts that show us exactly where he wants us to go. I, I think one of the biggest signposts he gives us are these supernatural experiences where he just shuts the door. You know, when I'm asking God for a specific will, I always say, Lord, shut the door if this is not what you want me to do. And man, he can supernaturally shut a door. And he can supernaturally open a door. And so when I get a door open, wide open, that hasn't been open, and I'm praying for God's will in something, and it seems to be leading this, this direction, and the door opens wide, I... I t- think I'm on the right direction, and I keep heading in that direction. So God's going to give us those signposts posts that get us to his specific will for our lives. But here's the problem. I'm heading over to uh, Baton Rouge, and I see the capital, and I get to the first signpost, and then I look to the right, and there's Tiger Stadium. And there's a game going on. And I say to myself, you know, the capital can wait. I'm going to go see LSU play this football game. So I take the signpost instead of the signpost I'm supposed to take. I take the signpost that lead me to that game. And after LSU wins the game like they always do, I see a signpost that says Mall of, Acad- Mall of Louisiana. And, and, and I say to myself, you know, I still got time to do some shopping. I, this is definitely breaks down for me because I hate malls and hate shopping. But let's, for illustration's sake, say I do like malls and like shopping. So I head off to the mall of Louisiana. Now I can't see the capital anymore. I'm moving in the opposite direction of where God intends for me to be. So I'm not going to only miss God's specific will. I'm going to miss his general will. I'm going to be moving away from where I ought to be moving. And then I leave the Mall of Louisiana, and there's a big sign that says, New Orleans, turn right. French Quarter, turn right. So I head off into nowhere land. And once I get there, I'm way past ever seeing the general will of God. And I'm certainly way past ever seeing God's specific will. You know what I love about this passage, though? It has that little phrase, by the mercies of God. Are you in a position today where you don't feel like you're walking in the general will of God? You've long lost any idea of any specific will for God. 
You know what? All you've got to do. I'm down in New Orleans on the French Quarter. It's like, I don't like it down here. This isn't where I ought to be. And by the mercies of God, I turn around. And I head back west this time. And I start heading back in the general will of God. And it won't be long after that that I'll see the capital again. And this time, I'll follow the signpost that lead me right to my destination. You know, I can't have a better wish for you in this coming year than that you find the specific will of God for your life. You want to know the specific will of God for your lives. Go back to the passage and look at how Paul finishes this. He says that you may prove, the last part of verse 2, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can test it. You'll know it's it. I mean, not only is it good for you, it's much better than good for you. It is perfect for you. I mean, God has a plan for you that is absolutely perfect. What better plan could there be than that? And not only is it perfect, it's pleasing to you. Let me, let me, let me read this to you in, in the NIV, and I don't recommend the NIV, the nearly inspired version, but they get this right here. Their translation is exactly right. He's, in, in the NIV it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And then it describes what Paul mean, means by that. If you structure this, I think the way it's structured in the Greek, once you find what his will is, it is good, it is pleasing, and it is perfect. That's the will of God for your life. You catch that? Pleasing. Not, I mean, it says acceptable here. That really waters down the meaning right here. It's the pleasing will of God for your life. It not only is pleasing to God, it is pleasing to you. I mean, that, well, you know what that means? That means that the specific will God has for your life is the will that will bring you, or the, the, or the decisions, or the actions that will bring you your greatest pleasure. If you're in the specific will of God, that's where you're going to find your greatest pleasure. Because if it's perfect and you know you're in God's will, then you have peace. And if you have peace, you have joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. God wants you to live 2019 in his absolute perfect will. Three steps. Three steps. Put yourself on the altar. He's not going to hurt you. Put yourself on the altar. 
Don't be conformed to this world any longer. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You'll see big changes in your life if you do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word, the clear directions you give us, Lord, for living a life of pleasure, a life of joy and peace. Not an easy life, Lord. Easy at times, but difficult at times. But, Lord, the life where we find perfect joy and perfect peace. Lord, how could we go wrong putting down some of the things of this world in order to look at you, to gaze upon you, to be transformed by you, to do your will, to find your will, to find your joy, and to find your peace. We just thank you that all of this is made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ who died for us. God Almighty died for us. So we know what our reasonable service is. And that's to put ourselves, give ourselves to you. Help us to do that, Lord. And when we lose our life, we know we'll find it. We thank you for all you've done for us and all you will do for us. Bless this coming year, Lord. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.